Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm hanging out with Randy. What's up, Randy? I'm doing well, Zach, thinking that we probably need to have some sort of a standard intro. You know, when we finish, you always say, let's stay salty, right? Yeah. Oh, we need like a new... So, so like, what, what if when we start, we say, we're here to salt you up? I'm going to say... No. <laughs> I think we're good as is. Okay. I think, well, tell you what, we'll let you be the judge of that, <laughs> valued listeners. Send us your thoughts at salty saints at becomehope.com or and questions. Please at be kind, I'm old. <laughs> I, think, I think it was the, the like clap and point. It might have, I don't know. Anyway. You ever seen the SNL skits? No. With the beefed up guys. No. They do a Schwarzenegger accent and they say, well, he oh, to bump, bump you up. You up. Okay. All right. All right. My bad. I got you. But no, we're not doing that. Okay. <laughs> so today, more churchy words on the yeah, way. Yeah. A couple we didn't get to last time. And then we even took a couple that were on our list and we determined that's just a whole other episode. And and probably a whole episode by themselves. So right. even though it's a churchy word, we might not we might not brand it as a churchy word. Right. Just we're gonna look at boom. Yeah, cool. So, but for for the churchy words today, what do we have? Well, one of the churchy words that we have is prophecy. Mm-hmm. And we can probably throw prophet in on that too. Right. And then the other one is testament. Since we have a Bible with an Old Testament and a New Testament, maybe we ought to try to figure out what testament means. Yeah, and and talking about those just a little bit, you blew my mind because it turns out I didn't even know what that meant. Oh, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I was all right with that. Well, I hope I'm right. (laughs) I hope you are too. We have the internet. That's true. The internet's never wrong, right? That's right. Um, So prophecy. What is it? Funny you should ask. (laughs) So, yeah, we have Old Testament and New Testament prophecy, and they're amazingly consistent uh, uh, between them. But in the New Testament, it it starts to... uh, There are just some new things that uh, the New Testament adds. So let's start with the Old Testament. Okay. We have three words in the Old Testament that are translated prophet. And uh, they're all used fairly early, back as far as Abraham. Uh, Abraham is, oh, I think it's when he's lying to Abimelech about Sarah being his sister, not his wife. And the Lord appears to Abimelech and says, uh, don't take this woman as your wife because she's the wife of Abraham and Abraham is a prophet which is interesting because I don't think of Abraham in terms of a prophet Right. then you get Moses who in the book of Numbers says uh, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me and again I don't really think of Moses in terms of prophecy, and yet they identify themselves well, as prophets. Well, oddly enough, like I do think of Moses. I, I guess, sorry, when you say Moses is a prophet, yeah. I go, oh yeah, yeah, it makes but, sense. But that is never the way I just think of him. 
So typically when we think of a prophet or of prophecy, we tend to think in terms of somebody who foretells the future. Right. Um, and that's not what it is. Some of that does take place, but not very much. Okay. So the first time we get a real prophet, it's uh, Samuel. And uh, occurs in First Samuel. And the context is uh, Hannah, Samuel's mother, has... She goes to the temple, and Eli is the priest, and she is praying that God will give her a son. And she promises God, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you. So uh, the Lord does, and as a result, when Samuel is weaned, which, Zach, that took place when the child was between six and eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Samuel was like six or eight years old, and he goes to live with Eli. And he becomes not only a priest, but a prophet. And the first time he's actually called a prophet is when Saul, Israel has asked for a king, and we're now in Samuel chapter 9. Uh, Saul's father says, the donkeys have all run away. Go find them. So here is Saul with one of the slaves of the household, and uh, he goes out to find the donkeys, and he looks at the slave and he says, what in the world are we going to do? How do we know where the donkeys are? And the slave says, let's go to the man of God, and he's talking about Samuel, because he is a prophet. So they go to Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, it uses uh, two of the words that we're looking at here. One is the word nebi'im, or nebi, which it's kind of a generic word for prophet. But it's the other one that interests me. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 9. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go and ask the seer. For prophets used to be called seers. For Nebi'im, prophets, used to be called Roeh, seers. Okay. Now, Roeh is the Hebrew word for see. And it just talks about someone who can see, and particularly who sees miraculously. So they go to Samuel, and they say to Samuel, Saul says, my father is lost his donkeys, where can I find them? And Samuel says, they've already gone home. You can go back. Oh, but by the way, let me anoint you because you're going to be the next king of of Israel. And uh, this is one of the functions of prophecy. They see things that other people can't see. Now, here's a case where it's a miraculous sight. But that's not all that they're talking about. The prophet sees things other people don't see. Um, Nathan, uh, the prophet with with David. Uh, David, uh, he stays home from war. Joab and his army is out fighting the war against the Ammonites. And um, David 
walking around on the roof of his palace, looks over at the next house, and he sees a beautiful young woman bathing on the roof of her house. Uh, falls in love with her, at least falls in lust with her, and calls her, and, I mean, who is she? She goes in, the king says, come. She comes, and uh, David makes love to her. She ends up pregnant. So in this long series of events, which takes about two months, David has Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, killed. She waits the 40-day period of mourning, and David takes her into his house. So about two, two and a half months have passed. By the time you get the message to to uh, Joab and Uriah comes back for a, for a week and refuses to go to his house. Uh, they kill Uriah the 40 days of mourning. It's two to two and a half months. And everybody kind of looks around and says, oh, isn't David nice? Because here's the wife of, of his friend and He's going to care for her now. He's taken her into his harem. Well, lo and behold, Bathsheba starts showing her pregnancy. And six and a half months later, she gives birth to a full-term baby boy. And everybody in Israel knows what's going on. Because it's obvious that this baby boy is full-term. And everybody says... He's the king. He can do whatever he wants, except for Nathan. Nathan sees things differently than the rest of the people. So Nathan goes into David and tells him the story about the man that had all, all he had in life was this little sheep that he treated like a daughter and, and took it into his house at the end of the day. And his rich neighbor has a guest come, so instead of taking one of his own sheep, he goes over, stills the, the, the man's sheep, and kills it and serves it to his guest. And David gets all emotional, and he jumps up on his throne. He starts swinging his sword around, says, Bring him here, I'll chop his head off right here. And Nathan says, You are the man. And David drops the sword. It kind of clatters to the ground. He sits down on his throne and he says, oh my gosh, what have I done? And he goes out and he writes Psalm 51. Um, great Psalm, Psalm, Psalm of, of Repentance. Psalm of Repentance. And, and it's, about, it's about 12 verses of David just saying, I'm a worm. And he was. Right. <laughs> he absolutely was. But the point is, Nathan, as a prophet, he saw things differently. Everybody else looked at what was going on and said, hey, he's the king, he can do whatever he wants. Nathan looks at David and says, you're a sinner. God holds you to a higher standard. And I'm going to remind you of that. Now, there's another word. It's, it's the word Jose. And uh, that word also means seer. It's a different Hebrew verb for seeing Amos uh, 7.12 um, I forget what the name of the uh, Amos goes he's from the southern kingdom he goes into the northern kingdom and I think it's Amaziah yeah Amaziah sent orders to Amos get out of here you seer go back to your own land go back to the land of Judah 
prophesy there. Earn your, earn your, your food. Earn your bread there. The prophet sees. Okay. And so, <clears throat> back then, that would or Old Testament that would often sort of unravel as the prophet seeing the situation the way God sees the situation, right? And that's the point. Okay. That's the point. And so, like, often the result of that is, like with Amos or uh, Ezekiel, they end up coming to the people, to God's people, and saying how God feels about the situation. Right. Because they see how God sees the situation. Right. And they see that it doesn't align with his heart. And so you kind of talked about New Testament. How do, what gets added to that in the New Testament? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But that's not the whole picture even of the Old Testament. Okay. Because there's one other word, Nabi. I mentioned that word before. It's kind of a generic word for prophet. But the word uh, Nabi, really, uh, it, it refers to somebody who's a spokesman. So uh, one of the first times, it's actually the second time that it occurs in Scripture, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, after Moses has made all kind of excuses for not going back to Egypt, Mm -hmm. um, the Lord says to Moses, pay close attention to this, I'll make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So a couple of things. Um, First of all, the prophet represents God. Uh, God says to Moses, you'll be like God, but Aaron will be your prophet. One of the things Moses said was, I'm not fluent. I'm not, uh, some people thought he stuttered. I think Moses is just inventing excuses and he's saying, I, I just wouldn't know what to say. So God says, I'll put words in Aaron's mouth. He'll be your spokesperson. The prophet represented God, and he was the spokesperson for God. Um, we get this time and time again. I mean, one of the catchphrases of the prophets is, uh, the Lord has said, and hear the word of the Lord. When the prophet spoke, it's like he had a certain way to indicate, okay, these are no longer my words. This is God's word coming to you now. And uh, he would speak God's word. Okay. So <laughs> this is my question's less to do with like what a prophet is and more to point out like it's really difficult the way the Bible's written at least in our translations that the word prophet is covering three different words. Yeah, yeah. Because it, they're each saying something different. Uh, they do, they do. But we just lump them all under this one word, prophet. And that's tough, because like like you just said, to There's just... A wide variety of meanings. Right, yeah. but like even with this situation with Aaron, like God's not saying, uh, and he will be your seer. Right. Right? Yeah. But so if we, if we read prophet, and then we read the definition of prophet one time, and we go, oh, okay, it's a seer... Well, now I'm assuming... No, it's not. <laughs> that's not... Right. That's not what he's saying here. And so, like, I mean, this is a perfect example of why learning the original translations of Scripture is important. It is. It is. And 
Okay, so um, one of my secret weapons here is uh, Logos Bible Software Mm -hmm. because um, you can download. It's totally free. Uh, Go to Logos.com. We love it. There it is. fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You can download it, and it has a dozen or so videos starting off. Mm -hmm. Look through those videos. It shows you how to go through an English version of the Bible and find the Hebrew, the Aramaic, or the Greek behind it. And you can actually do word searches, not on the English word prophet, but on the on the word nebi. Right. And and find every place where nebi. You can do that with every word of the Bible. Every single word of the Bible. Right. And it happens in like a half a second. It's boom and it's there. Yep. So even if you don't read Hebrew or Greek, download Logos Bible it, it, Software. That's not an excuse. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, better if you read Hebrew right. or Greek. But the point is, you you don't have to. You can you can learn what it originally said. You can at least see what words mean. Right. If if you're not going to understand the grammar, I mean, the value of understanding Hebrew and Greek is you get to see the grammar, get to see it in its construction. Right. And, right. Right. And get further uh, ideas of the meaning that way. But you can you can track down what individual words mean. Another good one is a blue letter Bible. That was yeah. pretty solid too. Okay, good. Yep. I haven't used that one that much, but you've I've had you for class you've a little told bit. Told me it's really good. It's solid. I think Logos is probably a little more ironed out, but probably. You can also purchase versions of Logos Bible software, which adds a lot of things. Yeah, but honestly, me and Randy, oh, we've done goodness. all the free stuff. And, and it's fantastic. How many how many hundreds of books do we have for free? Quite a few. Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And um when you start buying, it's not cheap. It isn't no, cheap. No, I think the cheapest one is like five hundred. And it goes up to like three thousand pretty quickly. So And we are in no way affiliated with logos. Oh, no, so, no, 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 no. Yeah. So honestly, like just check it out because it's a great resource. But um, They're gonna pay us for saying this, right? I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the sense of the prophet as the spokesman of God, there is one other use of that that I did want to mention. And this is one that's not quite so obvious. And it's something that I believe, but I haven't really picked it up from anybody else. So I may be the only person in the entire world who believes this. But I believe that the prophets were also the historiographers of the Old Testament. They wrote down the history of the Old Testament, I believe. Um, we get fairly early on passages like First Kings, or is it 1141, talking here about Samuel. Um, not Samuel, talking about, about Solomon. At the end of Solomon's life, he dies, and what Scripture says is the rest of the events in Solomon's reign including all his deeds and his wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. A couple of chapters later, chapter 14, verse 19, you get Jeroboam dies, and the rest of the events in Jeroboam's reign, including all the wars and how he ruled, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Same chapter, verse 29, um, Rehoboam dies, the rest of the events in Rehoboam's reign and everything he did are recorded in 
the book of the history of the kings of Judah. Now, those books we don't have today. They were books that existed, and apparently there were people sitting in the uh, the throne room recording what the king did. We get indications of this when, uh, like in the book of Esther, uh, the king says, read uh, the history of what's happened, and they start reading, and he says, oh, wait a minute. That guy, uh, he uncovered a plot against me. What was his name? And it happened to be uh, Mordecai. Um, he said, what can I do to to honor Mordecai? I, I've never paid him back for saving my life. So all kings apparently in this time had these books of chronicles of what they said. It was important hmm. because what the king said was law. So they would look for someone to write it down, and then they would call it out later and say, what did I say back then when you said X, Y, Z? Okay, so that's what we need to be doing today. And so-and-so is not doing X, Y, Z, so he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there were people in the king's throne room who were writing all this stuff down. Prophets walked in and out of the king's throne room with no hesitation whatsoever. Nathaniel walks right in and talks to David. Gad walks right in and talks to David. And prophets just had access to the king's throne room. I wonder if that isn't because they were the history writers. The one other thing that makes me believe this is that in the book of Isaiah, chapters 36 to 39... Uh, all of Isaiah is a prophecy except for 36 to 39. The rest of the book of Isaiah is poetry. 36 to 39 is prose, and it is word for word identical to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13, to chapter 20, verse 19. Word for word identical. There's a word off here or there, but it's like one word out of these four chapters. And that's between what and what? That's um, in Second Kings, it runs halfway through chapter 18 to halfway through chapter 20. Okay. In Isaiah, it's chapters 36 to 39. Interesting. Yeah. So here's Isaiah saying, this is what I wrote. And what Isaiah wrote ends up in Second Kings. Well, so, like, when you look at the, the surrounding nations, um, like the prophets of Baal or Baal, uh, like, they seem to be in service of the king. Yeah. So why wouldn't these be, you know what I mean? They serve like, a higher power. Well, no, no, but I'm saying, like... The, the kings of other nations seem to keep their prophets close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're kind of saying the same thing here. That, yes. That, like, but I, I don't know why we don't look at it like that. Right? You're, you're kind of right in saying, like, I've never, I've never heard anybody say that. But I'm convinced that that's true. Yeah, that I mean, the I'd, prophets wrote the history. Well, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. kind of what happens with... Uh, like, And it ends up being God's word. Right. So here are the spokesmen of God 
writing history, seeing things that other people see, but they see it from God's perspective. And that ends up being scripture. Well, isn't it the book of Joshua that at some point, is it Joshua where they believe that Joshua wrote part of it, but then doesn't Joshua die during the book? I think so. And then somebody else takes over, clearly. And and the same thing, uh, Moses, Deuteronomy 34, is the death of Moses kind of hard to write (laughs) about your own death. So, huh? yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now the New Testament. On to the New Testament. So we come to the New Testament, and we kind of get the same thing. Uh, The prophet is a seer there as well. Um, There's a fellow in the book of Acts named Agabus. Good name. Yeah. Going to name your first child Agabus? Probably not. Yeah. I'm still settled on Brock. (laughs) Brock Kelly. Think about it. Think about it. He's going to have a rough childhood, but he's going to grow up tough. (laughs) Boy named Sue. (laughs) So in Acts chapter 11, uh, where is it here? Verse 27. So the church is meeting during the time some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This is interesting. This is not at all. We have people today who claim to be prophets and who say such and such is going to happen. And when they stand up and they say that, the typical reaction is, oh, well, great, you know, praise the Lord, we'll see. (laughs) You know, we'll kind of wait and see if it happens. And then if it happens, we kind of sit back and say, he was right. It's not what they did in Antioch. Agabus stands up and says there's going to be a famine. They started giving money. They started the collection right then and there. And they sent it ahead of time so that the believers in Jerusalem could prepare for the coming famine. Because... They knew. They didn't have to wait and see. Agabus was a prophet. He saw it. So they prepared for it. Uh, Are you so? Are you saying we should be more like that today? I'm saying I think there's a lot of people who say they're prophets who aren't. (laughs) Uh, And the reason we say let's wait and see is because we're jaded. We're we're used to people just saying it. The test of a prophet, though, is to see whether or not it unfolds. That's right. And if it doesn't unfold, and I mean, that's biblical. That's if, right. If it doesn't unfold, they aren't a prophet, and they aren't to be believed. And isn't it death? Isn't, aren't In the Old Testament, it's death. Yeah, they yeah. be put to death if it doesn't <laughs> unfold. And so my point is, like, maybe the reason they responded that way to Agabus is because they had already seen that Agabus was I'm a tested... Positive. Yeah. Pro, a tested true po- uh, prophet, whereas you know today, I don't. I I haven't ever heard anybody prophesy something like in front of a congregation where it actually happened. I've never even seen somebody do that. To be honest with you, I've I've been in congregations where I've seen someone stand up and say, "Hear the prophecy of the Lord," and typically what they do is preach. Mm. They preach what is already in God's word. Right. 
Okay. Is that, that's <laughs> no, not really prophecy, though, is it? Not really. Yeah. No, okay. no, it's just... Uh, it's, it's more like evangelism. Agabus occurs again in Acts chapter 21. He does the same thing again. He takes Paul's belt, ties up his hand. He says, the owner of this belt will be tied just like this. Paul goes to Jerusalem where, what do they do? They tie him up. They take him prisoner. So again. So we see Agabus is a seer as a prophet. Hmm. But also okay. we get this. Acts chapter 15. Um Two guys, Silas and Judas and Silas. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraged and strengthening their faith. Spokespeople. Spokesmen of God's word. Is that different than what we just talked about, though, with somebody standing up in front of a church and preaching the, the gospel? Well, I didn't see Judas and Silas do it. I can't compare it with what I saw. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. When the person said, I'm prophesying, and all he did was kind of quote scripture, it left me feeling a little bit deflated. Yeah. I thought I was going to hear something, but... I read that in my devotions yesterday, so <laughs> Okay. You know, it, it it did not encourage me. I did not come away from that feeling uh, encouraged and strengthened in my faith. I came away from that thinking that guy's a little bit prideful, saying that he's gonna prophesy and he just quotes scripture. Did the prophets call themselves prophets? Wow, that's a great question. I just wonder if they saw themselves as that. Because, like, I don't, I don't recall like Moses. Yeah, there or, are. They're okay. they're sons of the prophets, and they called themselves a son of the prophet. Okay. Although you get Amos, who when he starts his ministry in Israel, he comes from Judah, goes to the northern kingdom, and he starts out by saying, "I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet," hmm. and. What he's saying there is not that his daddy was was not a prophet. What he's saying is there is this school, and students who go to that school is called the sons of the so, prophet. Sort of like what would happen with like the Pharisees or the Essenes, or like yeah, 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 right. In the time of Elijah, Elijah founded three different schools of prophecy, almost like monasteries, kind of. Okay, yeah. and he would kind of circuit ride between those three apparently and help them to understand. And if you think about it, if these guys were eventually going to become the historiographers, they needed to know how to write, which not everybody was taught. They needed to know how to compose their thoughts in a fluent and meaningful way. They needed to know about other history writers in the nations around them because they wanted what they wrote to be recognized as history when it was read. Interesting. And some of them were musical. It's like the, the first universities. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, this was, this was not come apart and meditate with me. It's all right. You know, you gotta, 
you make that aleph a little bit straighter and right. <laughs> you know put your put your vocalization on those letters in a clearer fashion and and oh yeah when you write this paragraph you want to start by making a, a statement of what the paragraph's going to say and then you say it then then you summarize what you've said probably and, taught them like hebrew poetry and like i like think parallelism so. I think like so. things like that because the prophets most prophets write poetry, and I don't think they just kind of stood up. I, I don't think it was like freestyle rap, where I don't know how those guys do what they do. <laughs> uh, I think God gave them a message, and they sat down then, and they crafted that in a way that would be memorable, memorable. And that was typically poetry. And then they would stand up and speak mm. and uh, read the poem that they had just written. Hmm. Okay. So anything else New Testament? Well, you get the gift of prophecy. And uh, the gift of prophecy is actually the only gift that occurs in all three lists, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. In Romans 12, it says you're given the gift of prophecy. Some are given the gift of prophecy, and they are to uh, exercise that gift. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, they are given a manifestation of prophecy. Without getting into a great amount of detail, Personally, I think 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of foretelling the future. It's something very miraculous when it occurs. I think the gift of prophecy in Romans 12, even though it's the same word, Greek only has the one word to express all these concepts that are expressed in different ways in Hebrew. In Romans 12, it's being the spokesperson for God. So the prophet sees what's going on in the world around us, and he's willing to stand up and say, that's wrong. We should not be doing that. Then you get uh, Ephesians 4, 11, and it is the prophet. And the prophet is one who, I believe, speaks God's word to the congregation. So there, I think you have the preacher, okay. the gift of preaching. Okay, so then do you think that those those all hold up today? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. So you got yeah. preaching, you've got, you said proclaiming God's word? Um, yeah, I think Ephesians 4 speaks of the gift of preaching. It's one of the leaders in the church. Mm -hmm. I think Romans 12 is just the way God wires us. Some people he's wired with an ability an interest in current events and kind of an ability to interpret those current events in terms of what God is so doing. So you're kind in the of world. speaking God's truth into our exactly. presence. Exactly. Okay. That might not be standing up in front of a crowd. That right. might be one on one, right. just sitting down with somebody. I think the prophet of of Romans twelve is the person who's going to sit down with you and say, Brother, I've seen what you're doing and you need to stop. That's kind of your Nathan. Yeah. 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 
And then I think there are times when we need to know what's going to happen. And so and there is like so a the foreseeing. spirit gives us gives an individual like an ability to foresee. Okay. So three three different three different applications uh, functions. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so me and Jason were talking about this earlier, actually. Yeah. About, about prophecy. Okay. Um, which I told him that's interesting because that's what me and Randy are talking about today. I said, but um, or he he brought up that he was on uh, what's that app Clubhouse, and he got oh, on yeah. the yeah. the religion section of it, and he said he saw some that were on prophecy, and he thought, well, hey, I'm just going to jump in here and just see what people are talking about, you know, just see where people's heads are at. And he said the vast majority of what he ran into was all like prophecy, like foretelling of prosperity over people. Oh, wow. And he was just saying how... So what's this website? <laughs> <laughs> but but so, so that was the question, though, is like, does that even happen biblically? Like, no. I, I mean, I guess I can think of like Daniel um, interpreting the dream. Right. And like saying... No, that's this is what this means, and saying, "Yeah, you're gonna do great, but the people after you, they're not." And so I can think of like some little things like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. but I don't really, I can't really think of anybody just showing up and be like, "Hey, you're gonna be you're really gonna be rich,", rich. <laughs> yeah, and God just wants you to know that. <laughs> the 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 thing that I think about immediately when I hear people like that is. Jesus's attitude towards riches was that's completely secondary. Right. That has no importance whatsoever. Who cares if you're going to be rich? Right. What I want to know is are you going to be faithful? Are you going to are you going to walk the walk? Are you going to Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then yeah, but then all of a sudden he's got this interest to yeah. to show up and tell you that. Yeah. I I just don't buy it. Agabus did predict a famine, and people used their riches to help out the people. Well, that's who were totally going to different. Absolutely different. That's totally yeah. different, huh? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking a lot about the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? Which leads me to the second word. Testament. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a churchy word. That is definitely a churchy word. I and mean, I, I think it's a Christian metal it band, too. Out, <laughs> it <laughs> may be. Uh, you hear it outside of uh, the church, but only as a last will and testament. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same use? No. Okay. Last will and testament is a statement, it's like a legal document that says. Now that I'm dying. But isn't that? Eh, there's some similarities. Okay. So here's the thing. And we've talked about this before. So Zach kind of knows where I'm going on this. The word testament it actually comes, I believe, from a Latin word that's used to translate the Old Testament word covenant. Hmm. So Old and New Testament is just like saying Old and New Covenant. And while we're on covenant, because <laughs> we kind of get a, a churchy word within a churchy word, right? Oh, boy. Yep. So what is a covenant? A covenant for us is a churchy word, but not for the people who made the covenant. The covenant 
was a treaty. Right. Um, it would typically be either between two equals or between a king and his vassals, his subjects. The biblical covenants that we have all follow the model of a king and his vassals. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, they follow it exactly. Uh, we have covenants between kings and his subjects from around the period of Abraham and after, and they have like five different parts, and you get all five of those parts every time the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham or with his children or with the nation of Israel. You get those five things, and I'm probably not going to be able to pull up the five things. Let me see if I can. You get uh, the opening clause is an identification clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the king. This is who I am. You are the subjects. This is who you are. Then you get a statement of of history. Uh, here is the relationship that exists between us. Then you get a statement of here's what you need to do. Uh, these are your conditions in the covenant. Then you get a statement of these are my conditions in the covenant. This is what I will do for you. And in the end, um, this changes a little bit in the biblical covenants, but in the in the uh, covenants of the of the region, uh, it would be uh, may this God or this goddess curse me if I break this covenant. Okay. So. So. One I've always heard that I always thought was interesting, and feel free to correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong on this, but the covenant made between Abraham and God. Yep. Um, I've been told that that was what was called a blood covenant. And so um, the reason, and, and like I said, this is just what I've read, but like the nomadic peoples of those times, since they didn't really have big families or anything, that multiple groups would come together and form covenants with each other to say, like, I've got your back if anything ever goes down. You've got my back if anything right. everything goes down. And so the reason God asks him to take all of those animals, because it's like a dove and a, you know, okay. like what they would do is they would cut them in half. Yeah. And they would lay them out and they would walk the row and they would make recite their covenant as they walked the row, right. stating... If, this is I break this, if I break this, let me be like these animals. Right, right. And then the thing that I've noticed, though, or that I had pointed out as well, is that Abraham falls asleep and God walks the covenant. Yeah. But Abraham never walks the covenant. <laughs> and that's our relationship with God to a T, though, yeah. that God always holds up his end. So what you're describing is Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, Identification. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. He skips over the history because they're living the history. You're part of the bargain. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. My part of the bargain. And I will make a covenant with you by which I'll guarantee to give you countless descendants. Abraham fell face down on the ground. God said to him, this is my covenant. I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. And then Abraham takes animals. He cuts them in half, puts them in, and he drives 
uh, birds of, of uh, carrion, uh, birds of, of vultures. vultures. Yeah. He drives them away, and he does fall asleep, and he has a vision of a pillar of fire walking between the animals. Hmm. Um, Exodus. God appears to Israel at Mount Sinai. Uh, did you ever hear the Ten Commandments called the Decalogue? Yeah. Do you know what that stands for? No. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Words. And the first word is this. I am the Lord your God. Identification. Who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Our history. And then he gets into, here's what you've got to do. And there are nine commandments that follow. Now, there's nine because he takes what we make uh, second and third, and it's one. That's how the Catholics read it too, right? I'm not sure. I think so. Because sure. the, the Jews only, read it. The Catholics only have nine commandments. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's there's nothing missing. It's just two get lump summed together, right? Exactly. Right. It's it's all of the all of the other commandments that we've had. Right. Actually, it's one and two that get lumped together. Have no other god before me. Don't make for yourself any idol. Yeah. And then, don't misuse the name of the Lord. And then. Uh, the rest of them are, are just the same. So after all of that, you come to the very end, and God says at the end of the book of the covenant, uh, chapter 23, verse 27, I'll send my terror ahead of you and create panic among the people whose lands you invade. I'll make all your enemies turn and run. Here's what I'll do for you. And uh, at the end of that, chapter 24, it's not a blood covenant, it's a salt covenant. Because they come together and they eat. God invites leaders from the 12 tribes with uh, Moses and Joshua. Is this on the mountaintop? This on the mountaintop. And they eat a meal together and it mentions specifically salt. That is served at the meal. Okay. Because salt was precious. It was a preservative. It was a preservative. And huh. it was the way they sealed the covenant. So it was like symbolic of like let this last kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah. So a covenant is basically a business deal. God takes a pattern for a business deal. Right. And he says, I'll come down and I'll make a business deal with you. And the form shifts slightly through the ages, but it always coincides with that age's pattern for a business deal. I mean, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. Isn't it interesting that we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament when it should probably be called the Old Testaments and the New Testament? <laughs> yeah, actually, it very easily could be called that. Because like, there's not just one set covenant in the Old Testament. It's a lot of covenants. It's It all goes back to the covenant between God and Abraham, which was live before me and be blameless, and I'll make you a great nation. Okay. So and it's, the it's rest very of them work, just... It's very works-based. Well, sorry. It gets turned into it's very works-based. It gets turned into a works-based <laughs> right. because it all starts with God's grace. Right, right. So it, it, 
God's grace and God's mercy predominates through the Old and the New Testament. So why do we call it Old Testament and New Testament? Because in the Old Testament, already during the time of the Old Testament, God, through his prophets, say, you guys have not followed the covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with a new people. And Isaiah says it, Ezekiel says it, Jeremiah says it. In the chosen, Zephaniah. They brought up Zephaniah. Is that episode five? That's episode five. I haven't five. seen it yet. I haven't seen it. Is it good? Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. And I had I had never seen this before. So in the book of Zephaniah, which is this little short three chapter. God says, be patient, says the Lord. Soon I'll stand and accuse these evil nations. For I've decided to stand, uh, I've decided to gather the kingdoms of the earth, pour out my fiercest anger and fury on them. All of the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. Even the people I've just punished. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to present their offerings. Mm. And I'd never seen that before, but I like wow. That. Yeah. That's all over the place. It is. It that, is. It's that's at the end of like uh, Ezekiel too, isn't it? So yeah, similar yeah, similar yeah, language. Yeah. Oh, Ezekiel says, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isaiah says, I will I will make a new covenant. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah says the same thing. You you look through the Old Testament and God very clearly says, I'm gonna make a new covenant with you. And, and it's really funny too, because it sounds like a new covenant means that like the last covenant must be like the that like that's not good anymore or something. But really <laughs> if you're actually following the old covenant transitioning to the new one wouldn't be a problem. Like, right? Everybody's invited to the new covenant. That's it's right. not like the, and that's uh, the big difference, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. That's really the only difference. Again, it's walk before me and be perfect, right? And I'll make you a great nation, not necessarily a physical nation, but uh, I'll make you fishers of men, right? <laughs> and that was see that was kind of hard for me to understand why God would do that for a long time. Um, well, like, why didn't he just start with the in, right, everybody? Right, right. But I, I think the best I've heard it explained is he wanted to set up a nation that represented who he was, that that would represent his mm-hmm. thoughts, mm-hmm. and that was Israel. It was this tiny little speck on the earth, right, right? And they prospered, and they did well, and they. I I think too, they just wouldn't have understood if he had started. With sacrifice of his son, they would have said, eh. but they had to learn, first of all, how bad sin is, what the penalty for sin is. People died. Um, I mean, just right down the line. It's not like our culture either, like where it's like, oh, we talk about sin and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, sin. It's like, no, if you were a Jew living in Israel at that point in time, like, your whole life revolved around 
sacrifice and right. cleanliness and right. being able to present yourself whole, as holy, not just before God, but before all these other people, because they all believe it too, you know? Yep. And so like, it was like that, it was everything. And so for, for God to send his own son for, for that group of people, that should have been monumental for them yeah. to see that. Yeah. What you said just made me think. I, I'm not for sure, but I wonder if in Israel, if they even sacrificed animals just for food. Did all animals need to be sacrificed in the temple? Oh, because you got a meal out of a sacrifice. You do. Right. Yeah, you take you take meat home. The priest gets some of it, but you also take meat home and eat it. And I'm not sure it's that sort they... Sort of like what we can do with our traditions today. That, you know... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing this for God, but but also, you know, because it makes me feel better. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. Maybe a little bit of that going on. Well, also a little bit of uh, God provides for me. Right. Uh, this is, I I I've got the animal. The animal is God's. I just gave it to him, and he gave me back meat. Which is so, not a bad thing. I don't think to look at it at like that. Yeah. It's not selfish. Okay. So the New Testament is the New Covenant. Now, the difference between the Old and the New Testament, um, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, required animal sacrifices for primarily for cleanliness. There was not really an animal sacrifice for sin. You're expected to be perfect. Right. And nobody could. Right. So in the New Testament... You get a sacrifice once and for all, and it's for sin. And so you've just reminded me now, too. Um, Hebrews? Yeah. When he says, he's talking to those that are going back, that they're, they're leaving the faith. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he says that if you leave, then there no longer remains a sacrifice, a sacrifice for, for your sin. That's right. right? That's right. And people read that and go, if I walk away from God, if somebody walks away from God, they can never, never come back. Me. Yeah. And that's not what that verse means. That verse means that if you go back, if, without Christ, there is no forgiveness Sacrifice for your for sins. sins. There wasn't before and there isn't now right, either. Right. So it's if not, you leave and go back, who's going to forgive your sins? Exactly. It wasn't <laughs> him saying like, you can never return. It was his reason for them returning. <laughs> right. He's saying, right. like, you need to come back because out there it's just death. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just always thought that's been misinterpreted for whatever reason. The other aspect, uh, the other change in the New Testament, and Paul dives deep into this in Romans 9 to 11, is uh, the fact that now it's not just Israel. Anybody. The doors are wide open. Which is probably the hardest part for Israel to wrap their heads around. It, it, it was a struggle for them. Even today. Yeah. Jews today. Oh, there's a great video on YouTube of asking Jews if they're better than non-Jews. Oh, it's incredible. Okay. Some of them are really nice. Yeah. Others. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Okay. I have to look that up. It's, it's interesting. Okay. Very cool. Testaments. So that's the old New Testament. Yep. And uh, and prophecy. So, yep. do we have any more churchy words, or are we going to call it good for a minute? 
Well, we have more, but I think just about every other churchy word that we looked at, uh, we decided, man, this is an episode in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably mention that they had been on the churchy word list at one point or another, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we'll we'll just get into it. Yeah, cool. All right, man. You got anything else for me? I really don't. Okay, sweet. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to yet another episode. Uh, if you've got any questions for us, questions at uh, becomehope.com or saltysaints at becomehope.com. Uh, make sure to give us a like, a follow, a subscription, a comment, whatever. Whatever you can do on whatever you're listening slash watching on. Um, other than that, stay salty. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's word, listen to the spirit and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.